You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 42 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, November 12th, 2015. This episode is brought to you by Canary, a complete home security system in a single device. When Canary detects something out of the ordinary, it sends intelligent notifications with HD video straight to your phone. Canary puts you in control during an emergency. Through the Canary app, you can watch live footage, sound a built-in siren, or connect with police near your home. Start protecting your home with Canary today for just $199. Go to meetcanary.com and use the promo code INSIDER to get free overnight shipping. I'm your host, V. Marks, and with me today is Neil Hughes, our managing editor of Apple Insider. Hey, hey Neil. Hey, how's it going? Also joining us is Mikey Campbell. Hello, V. Hey. The big news this week is the iPad Pro. It, uh, it shipped. We have it in our hands. Neil, you, you had the device. Tell me what your first impressions are. It's big. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big iPad, and uh, some people are going to love that, and some people are going to hate it. It's... Not, I, I think this is a very – I love it. Uh, I'll start off by saying that. I think it's great. I've been wanting a bigger iPad since the first one came out, and people told me I was crazy, but here it is. Um, and I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I see a lot of potential um, in it for the future and a lot of great uses for it now. Um, it's really powerful. Uh, the screen's beautiful. Uh, the form factor is great. Um, it's – you know, it's big. It, it works great laying on a desk or on your lap, but you don't want to, like, hold it up and use it. You wouldn't want to read in bed with it or anything like that. But that's not the use case for it. Um, I don't think it's going to be, like, some blockbuster hit. I think it's just kind of a niche device that is going to apply to certain people in certain situations, not necessarily all professionals. I think that there's a lot of home use case for this as, use cases for this as well. But, uh, yeah, my initial impressions are, are really positive. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Cool. So I've been forever thinking about having an iPad as my sole work device, my primary device. And I know that, that we ran a story about Tim Cook saying much the same thing, that, that Tim Cook uses the iPad Pro as a laptop replacement. He travels with just the, the iPad Pro and the iPhone. Do you feel like it's there? Do you feel like you could use it that way? No. I mean, it's just not there. It's, it, it's <laughs> honestly... Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, yesterday I decided, uh, picked it up on Wednesday, and I decided that I was going to uh, try to work with it for a little while. So yesterday afternoon uh, I did my usual work with it uh, using iOS 9 multitasking, and uh, it worked pretty well. Uh, the slide over capabilities, and it's stuff I've already done with the iPad Air. There's not really anything new there except for the processing power, which I'm not, I wasn't doing processing intensive stuff while I'm writing a story. Um, but you know, like little great things in iOS nine, like if I'm multitasking between Safari and say like a note taking app, like I started using one writer yesterday cause it offers iOS nine split screen support. Um, if I close out and go to another app and then I go back to Safari, it remembers that I had one writer open on the side and it treats them as one app, uh, even though it's two apps being open at once. So little things like that just make the multitasking experience really nice and easy to jump back and forth. So even though you can't do you know three or four things at once like you could on a Mac, it doesn't feel as held back. Um, having a physical keyboard helps a lot too, um, and I have the Logitech keyboard that I've been testing out with it. Um, and yeah, I mean it works for that kind of stuff. But uh, Victor, you and I yesterday we tried to we wanted to uh, get a way to um, record the podcast entirely on the iPad Pro. Uh, but it turns out that because of issues with iOS 9, APIs, and Skype, there is no way to record with an external mic while you're on Skype. You can record like in GarageBand your voice, but we wouldn't be able to Skype with each other with uh, this microphone that I have here, this iRig Studio. Right. And to clarify, what happens is once you open up the conversation, it changes the input to the built-in microphone. And the built-in speakers as well. So right. you can do any audio that goes through the headphone jack. So I could plug in um, headphones with an integrated mic, but that's obviously not as nice as this lightning mic that I have here that also has a USB for using with my Mac. So it, it used to work with Skype. Skype changed something in version 6 that came out in September, and now it doesn't work with Skype. So as it stands right now, I cannot record this podcast with a good quality mic unless I got something that went in through the headphone jack. Um, so, I mean, there's just still limitations that are really 
held up by the software more than anything. I mean, I think it's just iOS 9 slash developer limitations and how people, what are the use cases for this? Like how many people are really recording uh, podcasts using Skype and GarageBand at the same time? You know, I, I just don't know that that many people are pushing their iPads that hard yet. But you would think that, you know, a year, two years, three years from now, as these devices get more and more powerful, that there's going to be more people trying to do that stuff and hopefully a market clamoring for it. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, but that's the, one of the funny things, I think, is that um, computing is driven and pushed by the edge cases, right? And we are definitely at the edge trying to produce the podcast entirely on an iPad. Right. And, and we're and, not there yet. Yeah, I mean, it was capable. I did it once before. I recorded one episode back before um, uh, Skype switched and no longer allowed uh, lightning-connected microphones to an iPad. So I did it on my iPad Air. And then we tried again when iOS 9 came out on my iPad Air 2, and it wasn't working, and we didn't really know why. And I looked into it more yesterday because I wanted to do it with the iPad Pro, and it turns out that Skype changed something. So it's technically possible to do it, but we don't. if anybody out there is listening and knows of any um, – uh, apps that use the, uh, what is it called? Core audio, uh, voice, uh, chat apps that use core audio, then we would be able to presumably, uh, record and, and do the podcast with an iPad. And I would love to be able to do that, honestly, because, um, it's just more convenient to take an iPad and move it somewhere than it is a full laptop. Right. And we looked at trying to do that with FaceTime also. Yeah. And FaceTime uses the same thing. It uses, uh, it doesn't use core audio. It uses a different API. And that API does not allow access to a USB slash lightning external microphone. It's crazy. My, my position, and I told you this a couple of days ago, is that when, when Tim Cook can craft his whole keynote by himself on the iPad Pro, <laughs> he creates a spreadsheet from scratch on it. When, when he's doing those kinds of things with his iPad Pro then I'll believe that the iPad Pro is ready as a laptop replacement. I but, mean, are we ever going to get to the point where you can write an iOS app on iOS? The I, self-hosting like that would be cool. Being able to compile on the device itself would be great. And I, I think it's possible. I think we'll get there. I think we're not there yet. Mikey, did you pick yours up yet? No, I got mine, uh, got mine last night. And what do you think? I agree. It's uh, big. Um... <laughs> How big is it? I can see good stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I can see myself using it as like on a desk. I'd say, uh, not so much as. Let, let's just say that I won't be using it how I've used iPads in the past as uh, consumption devices. You know, I mean, a lot of people are saying that you know it's not a consumption device, and I I agree. That it's more, it's geared more toward um, content creation, um, and I feel like I'm going to be using it in that capacity. But then the, I don't know, Neil, are you impressed with the speakers at all? Yeah, I mean, they're still iPad speakers, but I mean, they sound good. They're a lot louder than the iPad Air. Um, they use the top two, depending on the orientation you're holding it for. Uh, the uh, tweeters, I guess, and then the bass comes out of the uh, bottom speakers. Um, yeah. And it'll dynamically rotate based on how you're holding the iPad. And it's yeah. an impressive design, and it sounds it sounds pretty good for a tablet. I mean, for something this thin. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Um, I I tried uh, putting my ear up to one speaker and uh, tilting it. You can you can hear the difference. Is it that there's a there's a noticeable change in uh, tonality, which is kind of Kind of cool, um, but then again, I I don't know how many people are going to be sitting, you know, just watching TV. I mean, I guess once uh, once the apps start supporting this gigantic screen, it it'll be worth it. But um, as it stands, net Netflix is enlarged, right? I mean, it's it's a universal app, but it's still, yeah. I mean, it it, it doesn't look comparably as good as it does on say an iPad Air. Well, it's interesting because mini. some apps have been and I don't think that they were actively updated for the iPad Pro. I think that they just used Apple's kind of best practices. And so they right out of the box just look great on the iPad Pro. They just adjust the screen size, they scale well, they use the new keyboard. And then there are some apps that just look like absolute garbage. Like you look Right. Them up, so you're saying if you use storyboarding in in Xcode if you use the storyboards and the facilities that they give you there to take advantage yeah, of yeah. dynamic resolution, high DPI displays, 
So, like, for example, I've been using Mailbox from Dropbox now for a while um, to just kind of keep my inbox, you know, organized or whatever. And I'm, I'm ready to just quit it because they don't support Apple Watch. And to a point now where for some reason I'll hit archive on an email when I get it on my watch and it doesn't archive it on my phone. And I don't know if that's a, a watch thing or a mailbox thing. But, you know, I was sending off emails last night. And again, mailbox is my default mail app. And it looks like junk on the pro. I mean, it's like I get the old stuff. It's like it's like when you get your uh, iPhone six for the first time and, and you saw a bunch of apps that just look blown up. Or uh, when you got a first iPad and you're using a bunch of blown up iPhone apps on it, it's the same thing. It's just like it's blurry. It looks like crap. They have the uh, old uh, style keyboard on the bottom, which just looks like comically large and stuff. So if you get the new iPad Pro and you're using an app that's optimized for it, um, you get this really nice uh, keyboard that uh, takes advantage of the extra real estate, complete with a tab key and a uh, caps lock key. You get a full number row at the top. Um, you get the, uh, bracket keys, backslash, uh, forward slash, uh, comma, all that kind of stuff. So it's more of a full size keyboard with all the functions that you expect on it. Um, and then if you load up an old app, then it doesn't give you that. It just kind of blows up the old keyboard to take up the 12 inch screen. Um, you know, so it's going to take a little time for apps to take advantage of the, the more screen real estate. Um, and that's not really that big of a deal, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just going to take time for apps to make, to take advantage of the larger, uh, space for them to play with here. Now tell me about the Logitech keyboard, because I know you were all over the smart connector for this. What, what, what was that experience like? Uh, so, <clears throat> I mean, if you like, uh, folio style keyboards, uh, case keyboard things, um, it's, it's nice. Uh, it has a sturdy base, so, uh, you can actually use it on your lap, which is cool. Um, like I had tested, uh, the Microsoft surface before with their soft keyboard with the kickstand and just doesn't work on your lap. So this thing, um, I could put it on my lap and I could type with it, which was good. That was a plus, um, the magnet connection between the smart connector and the keyboard is really solid. Uh, it snaps into place, very satisfying and it's sturdy. Um, it's not going to get pushed off or go anywhere. You got to kind of give it a little bit of force to take it off. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's well-constructed. It's a good keyboard. I was typing on it yesterday. The only problem I ran into and, and, uh, the only reason I'm mentioning this is because I saw someone on Reddit apparently had the same problem. I was getting a lot of lag with the keyboard where, uh, uh I was typing and letters were not coming in in the order in which I typed them. And sometimes keys were sticking and uh, it was definitely not me. It was definitely the keyboard. But the problem is I'm running iOS 9.2 beta 3. So I don't know if that was an issue with the beta or not. But I did see that someone else posted on Reddit and they did not indicate they were on the beta, that they were having this problem. So uh, there may still be some kinks to work out with it or something like that. But uh, haven't done a full review on it yet. So take that with a grain of salt because I'm not sure what's causing the issue. But there were some quirks with it uh, for me. And then I did last night try typing a lot with the virtual keyboard as well and, and found that to be pretty good with the bigger screen. Is, is typing easier on the virtual screen than it is on, say, an iPad Air? Yeah, I mean, there's more room to work with, so, yeah. I, uh, I like the idea of it. It's a lot of money. How, what, what's, what's the retail price of the one that you got? Uh, I got the um, 128 gig uh, Wi-Fi model, which is 949 And, Mikey, I believe you got the cellular one. Yeah, I did. That's, uh, what, 1079 Yeah, 1079 And you can get an entry-level 32 gig for 799 and the Pencil and Apple keyboard are not available yet, but I did try them in stores, and they're pretty cool. Um, I'm going to be reviewing all of them as I get them, uh, supposedly next week. But uh, the Pencil was really neat and responsive, and I mean, it looked like my handwriting when I wrote, which is, I guess, the best compliment you can give it, right? Interesting, yeah. I went down to my store, and they didn't have, um, they didn't have any Pencil or keyboard demo units out. Is it that they're just not available, or is it that they're... they're... They gave them all to reviewers. Ah. Uh, yeah, but it, it seems like it's limited availability, but um, I, they had some in the store here, uh, and I tested them both out, and the keyboard seemed all right, I guess. I mean, it's a thin keyboard, so uh, it's... it You know, any physical keyboard, I think, is going to be better in typing on a big virtual screen uh, for that kind of typing. But uh, the Logitech one is, uh, I think, 10 or $20 cheaper, and it's a little bit more robust with typical style keys and it's backlit. So it may, uh, assuming that the uh, lag issue is either resolved or just something uh, tied to the beta, 
uh, it may be a better option for people, but it is on the bulky side. Like you look at it and almost think they could have fit a battery in there, but there's no battery. It's all powered by the smart connector. So let me ask, why in the world would anyone ever buy an iPad Pro and not get a keyboard and pencil with it? Well, I mean, I had no interest in getting the pencil. I'm going to get them to review, but I don't draw and I don't write with handwriting. So, Yeah, I mean, um, it can work fine without the, uh, depending on your use case. I mean, if you do a lot of typing, if you're doing like a, a blog or something on your iPad, I, I mean, a keyboard would probably be a, a must but um there's a lot of you know it's, it's ios i mean there's a lot of ways you can interact with apps without using a uh, a keyboard or stylus i mean it's it's been built for that purpose so uh depending on what your workflow is i mean i you know i'm, I'm looking for more of a, a, a non-folio style keyboard um apple's uh, smart keyboard what are, case. What are some examples of non-folio style? What, what are you thinking of? Well, the bridge that I have brought up a few times on the show uh, is okay. the one that I really like. So that the, turns the bridge, your, the clam case, these kind of things. Yeah. So the bridge, uh, <clears throat> you just take your naked iPad and just uh, it has a couple slots that it fits into, and then it just turns it into like a like a little little uh, macbook essentially the, the slots are on the hinges basically uh-huh. and it turns it in. okay yeah and uh the base is is heavy so it kind of kills the portability of the ipad but if you really want to use it with a keyboard uh it makes it work just like a laptop and it rests in your lap just fine you don't have to worry about tipping over or anything like that you can adjust it to any angle you want so that's the problem like with the folio style um on this uh logitech is you can type with the screen at exactly one angle and that is it and if you don't like that angle, then you can't type on it. <laughs> so, uh, th- you know, th- those options are, are limited with a folio style, uh, with the way the connector is in the design. Uh, and I prefer to have something where I can angle it based on sunlight or room light or just my view or my preference, how I'm sitting, whatever. Uh, and that's an advantage of a laptop, and that's something that you're going to sacrifice. But uh, if you get one of those style uh, keyboards, then it works a little better. So I would imagine that at some point we'll see those type of keyboards coming out for the iPad Pro. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm really into it. I haven't gotten one. I'm going to look for you guys to, to point me the direction to go. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about inboard. The, uh, the skateboard, Neil, you got a ride on it, didn't you? Yeah, uh, this is actually um, something that you had tested out uh, a few weeks ago, and the folks behind it, it was a, ki- a successful Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and they have a product coming out soon, and unlike a lot of Kickstarter projects, they actually are progressing and have hardware to show and are yeah. gladly demoing it, and it's really cool. Yeah, um, I, I wrote it a couple of weeks ago, but I don't consider myself a skateboard expert by any means. That's that's why I wanted to make sure you got a chance oh, to Oh, well, ride it. I'm not a skateboard expert either, but uh, I, I have, you know, ridden things in the past, so... Uh, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, we bring this up too, because if you go and check out uh, my hands-on with it, uh, at Apple Insider, there's a video in there, and it's of uh, worth noting that the video in there was edited uh, entirely on my new iPad Pro with iMovie. And quite frankly, um, I've been a proponent of iMovie on iOS since it came out, and I think that for like very basic editing stuff and throwing something together that looks good and presentable, uh, it's easier and quicker to do it on an iOS device than it is on your Mac. Uh, it's easier to import the files. It's easier to just kind of scrub and edit and do things. You have to know some of the little tricks and some of the little quirks and stuff to make it work the way you want. But once you get used to it, you can really do a lot of power user stuff in iMovie. And uh, it was a a lot of fun to edit it uh, this morning together on my iPad Pro. Um, It took me almost no time and just imported the videos uh, from my iCloud photo library and uh, then when I finished the video, I exported it to my iCloud Drive, and then I went over to my Mac and uploaded it to YouTube from there. But I suppose I could have even uploaded it to YouTube from my Mac and all that. That wouldn't really have been a necessary step. But From, from the iPad Pro. From the iPad Pro, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you go and check out the article, you can see the video in there. And it's not the greatest video or anything. It was shot on a Sony uh, compact digital camera. But just a quick little edit, uh, just with some music and and uh, little titles and stuff like that, came together real nice. Looked great, and it was edited entirely on my new iPad Pro. So worth checking out. How was the ride? 
so the skateboard's really cool. Um, it's a unique design where they have the motors are actually embedded in the rear wheels. So uh, I've tested some other ones. The Unique Ego is the one that I reviewed last year, uh, and there's some others like the uh, Boosted Boards and some other ones coming out. And those have uh, external motors with uh, belts on them, and so when you're not giving it uh, gas, so to speak, or hitting the throttle, uh, then the motor and the belt will actually be a drag on the board. It'll slow it down because um, it, it has to. When the wheels turn, they have to kind of push the motor with it. So this one, because the motor is in the wheel itself, um, doesn't really have that. So when you're riding and you lay off the uh, the throttle, then it coasts in a way the other ones don't. The other ones feel like they're breaking as soon as you let go. Um, so, yeah, it's a really uh, great, smooth ride and a lot of fun. Uh, it's really quick. It goes uh, up to 24 miles an hour. And... Uh, they had a prototype there that I got to ride around. One of the things I thought was the coolest about it is they have a really discreet uh, compartment on the top that uh, you can remove the battery out of and swap out the battery. And they made sure that the battery itself is thin enough that it can stick out of your back pocket and you can carry it with you. And the battery also has two USB out ports on it. So you can use it to charge the Bluetooth remote that they have, or you can even use it to charge your iPhone or something else if you wanted um, and so the battery has like multiple use cases, like a little Mophie that you bring with you as well as something that powers. And you don't have to worry about if you bring a spare recharging, if you go past the 10 mile range. Um, and it's also going to have compatibility with the iPhone, which is why we're obviously interested in it. And also the Apple watch. So you're gonna be able to use the iPhone to lock the wheels so nobody can like steal the board from you. Um, you're gonna be able to use the iPhone to accelerate and slow down if you don't want to use their remote or you lose it or something, or it runs out of power. Uh, it'll also kind of like an electric car give you uh, readouts on how many miles you have left, how much time you have left on the battery, uh, how efficient you're driving on it is if you're you know going too fast or something like that. And then the Apple Watch integration will be able to show you very quickly when you look at your wrist like how fast you're going or uh, uh, what your efficiency is and how much range you have left and stuff like that on your wrist too. So a lot of really cool integration with the iOS ecosystem there. Very cool. Very cool. I I liked riding it. I thought it was a fun ride. I um I, I have a lot more riding to do to get used to it. But it seems to be one of those things that you could pick up really quickly how it works and how it feels within about a half an hour of riding. Yeah, and it's priced at thirteen ninety nine, which a lot of people in the comments and stuff always see that and say, oh, it's too expensive. But you have to look at it from the perspective of if you're living in you know New York City or San Francisco or Long Beach or somewhere like that, and you're using it in place of a bicycle or a car. Uh, it's a really fun way to get to work or get around and it's a lot cheaper than a car and you don't have to pay for, you know, insurance and gas and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden you're looking at a, a great mode of transportation, especially, you know, if it goes up to 24 miles an hour, you can keep up with traffic in, in New York city with that. So, um, you know, people may not be looking at it for their personal case, but I think there's a lot of uses where something like this would be ideal. I did want to ask though, Mikey, um, since I, you know, edited a video on this and stuff like that, have you done anything like really intensive with your iPad pro yet? No, I've only had, I mean, I only got to use it sparingly last night. So what have you uh, done with it so far? I watched some videos, you know. Watched Checked some Netflix? Checked out the, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, I was um, testing to see which apps or if I could use any apps with the picture-in-picture mm-hmm. besides the uh, dedicated videos app. Yeah, Safari videos. Yeah. So um, testing that out and then... I don't know, I was just kind of playing around with the interface. I was actually sitting on my couch, um, holding it up with one hand. But then, you know, I'm, I am I also purchased the original iPad, so I'm kind of used to that heft in my hand. Which iPad model did you have before this one? The Air, which he's, I... He's owned one of everything, Neil, hasn't he? You yeah. didn't have the Air 2? No, I didn't get the Air 2. I didn't see enough of an improvement. I, I had the Air 2, so I had a lot of the features that would be new to people that didn't have it like the split screen multitasking, that kind of stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's cool. I mean, it, it, what, what's great about it is that it actually works for iPad pro. I mean, it's like Apple designed those features for iPad pro, obviously. Right. I mean, they're looking yeah. ahead for it. So, I mean, it, it really, it really works very well. And, uh, I don't know. I guess perhaps the most impressive thing for me is just how powerful it is. So, I mean, I can run two. I was trying to see if I could slow down the uh, 
could slow it down at all, make it stutter. And I couldn't. I mean, even when I was having, I had like a maps window open split screen with like a, uh, like a video running or something. No slowdown. Mm. Even when scrolling around in maps, you know, and maps kind of is pretty processor intensive. Yeah. Especially if you're doing flyover and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop it from being really blazingly fast. So. You can't stop it. Can't. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, I used it uh, last night to do some apartment hunting, and uh, it's really nice uh, to have that big screen and kind of uh, to kind of set it down and share and view. And uh, I could definitely see that being beneficial, especially like in an office setting. You know, a group kind of sitting around a table, collaborating, looking down at something. Uh, you know, you can see it being that uh, so-called dynamic piece of paper that people kind of envisioned when tablets first came out where you can interact with it and everybody can gather around. Uh, definitely could see that being a great uh, advantage in an office setting. What? You, you weren't looking on Zillow on Apple TV? <laughs> no. Oh, come on, man. Dude, you're letting us down here. Get with the program. Seriously. Um, pass yeah, no, I, I, uh, I agree. And I, I do... <laughs> I had the urge to go outside and uh, do like the Apple commercial and take a picture of the sky or, you know, use sky guide. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I didn't, I didn't, but that's ridiculous. I, I can, I can't imagine anyone using the camera. They should just, uh, they should just have a FaceTime camera really. Well, and they, and everything needs to take advantage of the bigger screen uh, more. Like one of the funny things is you open up uh, the app store and it just looks ridiculous because there's just like the screen is so big and they optimized it for the screen. So like right now I just pulled up the app store and I see uh, I see probably at least uh, 25 clickable things in front of me, probably more than that. Just a, just so many apps and so many options. And it's just overwhelming. It's too much. Uh, it's just cluttered and whatever. And basically what they did was they just took the existing app store layout and just shrunk it down to uh, uh uh, fit to be optimized for the screen, but you look at it and kind of realize this design may work for an iPad air or an iPad mini, but on an iPad pro, just these rows of things, it's just, it's too much content staring at you at once. And so, you know, over time you would hope that these native apps and third-party apps are going to take advantage by, you know, having different menu options and selections and stuff like that, that just make it look better. They did a good job with photos. I mean, photos is something that I guess, you know, every it's it's something that everyone uses, right? Um, I don't know if you have a lot of photos, but if you like go into it, they're cropped really nicely and um, you know, fit to screen. Uh, yeah, the only I, thing that's kind of weird is like uh panoramas are um they try to show the whole thing and it just kind of messes everything up. But besides that, uh, it's really good, and you know, uh, videos are shown in line. You can play it. So, I mean, something like that is 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 great. But then I, I agree that you know, looking in like the app store or uh, even music, music is ugly. I was, you know, using it last night. We, we've been complaining about music on every part of the iOS platform. Well, like I pulled up music right now, and so if I'm holding it in uh, landscape mode. I see on the left side is a scrollable list of my artists. And then on the right side, uh, it has by default recently added. And there's one, two, three, four, five in a row, and then four rows down. So I see 20 albums on the right side. And I realize that it's all, you know, optimized for the screen size. So, you know, it's high resolution. They shrunk them down or whatever. But I have no less 20 albums plus at least 10 artists on the side to choose from. I have like 30 options here on the screen. And it's almost too much, you know. Uh, I feel like there's better ways to optimize the the screen real estate here to, uh, you know, make it a little more interesting and a little more dynamic at, rather than just throwing a bunch of content at you. Yeah. So, so sum it up for me. Do we recommend it to people? The iPad Pro? Uh, I mean, if you really want a, a workhorse of a tablet or you want a bigger screen, absolutely. I don't know how many people that's going to apply to. Um, like I said, I've been wanting a bigger screen iPad for years and I've been kind of scoffed at for saying that, but I think that there's a lot of things that you can do, you know, in terms of the bigger screen that just makes it a more enjoyable experience for me. Uh, that may not be for everybody. Obviously there's a big market for the iPad mini. So, um, I, I think that, uh, uh, 
there's a market for it, people that want to draw, people that want to connect to keyboards, stuff like that. But the $800 entry price is going to keep out a lot of casual users. And a lot of, you know, higher end users are going to need more horsepower than this offers just because of the limitations of iOS 9. Uh, like, for example, you can't use the keyboard for a lot of navigation purposes. And one of the things I was doing when I was using the Logitech keyboard was I kept putting my finger down for a trackpad because it just felt like using a Mac. And then I, there was just no trackpad there. And then on the reverse, I'd go back to my laptop, my MacBook, and then I'd like reach out to touch the screen. And it's like, oh, no, wait, no, I'm, I'm mixing things up here. <laughs> so, so it makes you look like an idiot, basically. <laughs> basically. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, yeah, it, it, it's going to have a market. It's not going to be the best selling iPad. I don't think just because of the price and, and the size, I think a lot of people prefer the smaller form factor and stuff like that. I think there's a market for it. I mean, they're going to sell a lot of these, but I don't think it's going to be the best selling iPad that Apple puts out. I still think that oh my uh, the God. iPad can, air, the mini will be better. I can hear, I can hear wall street screaming from here. Oh boy. Well, I mean, <laughs> Wall Street likes that this has high margins, right? You start $800 for a tablet. so, And I don't I mean don't any know. of that in a disparaging way. It's just what's the market for people that want a 13-inch iPad with a, with a pen, right? How many people really want that? I would say so, a lot of artists do right. want it. But, but how many? I, yeah, I, I don't mean, think they're – I think they're – I mean, they're, they're kind of advertising pencil, but I think they should be pushing it harder than the, uh, the keyboard. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I have a comment that I want to read that I got from a fellow online. This is a, a guy with the username of Nuclear Pengi. And it says, I love the idea of a tablet, and I would want one if they were handing them out, but I'm not sure I will be replacing my iPad. Maybe if I had more space and more desks, then it might fit into my flow again. But right now I have an iPad, and it mostly gathers dust. It makes me sad because I want to. I want to use it, but if I must choose I, iMac or iPad, I choose iMac. And if I must choose iPhone or iPad, I choose iPhone. So... What's the so, problem? So what is – well, it's it's just really what is the utility of, of the iPad? And when it comes down to this idea of replacing your computer with an iPad, it doesn't work. Okay. Well, I mean, for example, the iMovie edit that I did earlier today, that probably right. took me half the time it would have taken me to do on a Mac. And but you could have done it on your phone, yeah? I could have done it on my phone as well, and I have done stuff like that on my phone. Um, I was just out uh, this past Sunday and decided to kind of make a video making fun of one of my buddies, and I did it while I was out at a restaurant. And it was that easy. And I was like, hold on a second. I had to go outside to record a voiceover for it, and then so it was quiet, and I went back inside. And it's so funny to me now looking at this stuff, and it's wow. like it's 2015, and Uber. I can do all this stuff on my phone while I'm just screwing around while I'm out at a restaurant. I mean, yeah. that's, that's how powerful our computers have become now. They're in our pocket. And I couldn't have done that stuff that easily 10 years ago, you know, on a, on a, on a huge computer. I couldn't have done it that easily. Yeah. Oh. Um, the, uh, the large screen also makes it really easy to, um, to get down into the UIs of stuff like iMovie, um, you know, stuff where there's a lot of cont contextual menus and, and such on screen, um, or a lot of moving elements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like nonlinear editors like, like iMovie. So um, the, the Pro is really good for that. Do you think that we could see a Final Cut Pro for iPad? I mean, the power is there. Uh, can you do it with just a touchscreen? I don't know if you can do it. No, I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's far too much. I'm not saying it would be as powerful as it is on a Mac. I mean, but... you, could, you could definitely have like a version of it. Yeah. I mean, especially with iPad Pro, uh, there's enough display there to put in, you know, new uh, new signifiers or, or new uh, icons and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, you could definitely, I could definitely see an app like that. And there, you know, uh, when I mess around with, like with iMovie, there are some restrictions in there that there's no real need for these restrictions to be there. For example, at the start of the video, I have a little, uh, you know, intro title. And I just chose the standard title because it was centered and it wasn't like a weird fade in or anything like that. And it would not allow me to put any lowercase letters in that title. They all had to be capitalized. Oh, yeah. And yeah. That's, that's just their style that they have for that. But it's like – and I should be able to not only change the font and change the capitalization, but I should just be able to move the text to wherever I want. There's no uh, – It's real, all arbitrary. Yeah, I mean there's no, there's no reason for uh, that. 
But it's just because they're building off of a previous version of iMovie that was stripped down to work on an iPad and an iPhone. But this is one of those things where you hope that Apple is working to take to make it more fully featured and give those kind of customizations. I understand why it was stripped down before, but now I have an iPad that's more powerful technically than a 12-inch MacBook. So let yeah. me do little things yeah. like drag the text around. Yeah, Adobe does that very well in their apps. You know, their their many many standalone apps. Um, they give that kind of granular customization that Apple doesn't give, except um, you know, in in Adobe's case, they've split it up into I don't know how many different apps are out there right now with Mix and Fix and whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if if Apple, I mean, obviously, it's gonna there's gonna come a day where these things are gonna be standard on for uh, iOS apps, right? I mean, everything is moving in that direction. And a lot of it feels like, like I can squeeze a lot out of iMovie on the, on the iPad Pro, but a lot of it is kind of like little workarounds to make it work the way that I want. And it comes out looking good, but it's because I've used the software so much, I'm familiar with it, and it's like, ooh, I can do this, I can do that. And it's kind of like going in a roundabout way to make it work. Uh, but they need to just kind of cut those things out and give me that extra level of control. It's really going to come down to the software, and that's where the experience is going to be at. The hardware is there. The touchscreen is not really limiting anymore. It's so big. Uh, the the CPU and the RAM and the GPU and everything. I mean, this thing is a workhorse in a. Uh, it's, it's comparable to a Core i five. Yeah, and I mean, it's about as thick as you know two pieces of gum. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's an incredible uh, machine. But yeah. It really need. I mean, the fact that you can't fully navigate it with a keyboard, right? Like I can't uh, yeah. jump mm. around the uh, home screen with my keyboard. I have to touch it. I have to do this. I have to do that. And it's just this weird dynamic where they just need to add in that next level of functionality. I know it yeah. won't happen anytime soon, but I would love to see some cursor support. They're they're starting to uh, uh, do that with um, Force Touch, right? I mean, on uh, iPhone 6S. I don't know if you use it, but they've introduced basic cursor movement. Um, uh, with the the uh, yeah, well, like, you know when, when you press down finger. on the keyboard yeah on the soft keyboard and you can just kind of you know swirl around the um the cursor yeah yeah so I mean that is something that I do miss I I did find myself last night uh, trying to force touch a couple things on the pro <laughs> and um yeah so I, I'm looking forward to the second gen version oh I also is your um it's kind of off topic. Uh, but I'll get back to my topic um, real quick. But I, I just uh, wanted to ask, um, Neil, is your Touch ID, it, is it slower than your 6S? Um, I mean, maybe. I don't know. It never really – the 6S is definitely faster. But, I mean, I'm, I'm using it right now, and I'm, I'm putting my fingers on it to unlock it. And maybe a, a hair slower. It's probably yeah. using the same Touch ID as last year's iPad Air 2, considering yeah, yeah. they're using the same camera as the iPad Air 2. Yeah. They're they're using a lot of uh, parts like like the uh, the headphone jack and stuff. So yeah, for users who uh, are care about this kind of stuff, there it's not all of the latest and greatest internals that are you find on the uh, 6s. Um, so I mean that that's just a side note. But anyway, back to my back to my point. For for iOS, I mean it. It's kind of limiting because it doesn't have that file system that OS uh, ten does. So you have um, you have to kind of work around it with those constraints, like Neil was saying. Um, instead of cursor, you're going to have to touch the screen and that kind of stuff. You, it so for some people, it's going to be a new workflow and a new way of interacting with your machine, but. I think in the end, when they start developing software that actually, you know, is designed specifically to take advantage of a ninety uh, percent touchscreen experience, uh, I think we could see uh, a convergence. You know, between you, you'll walk into a Apple store and you could legitimately look at both a Mac and an iPad as your main machine. But we're not, we're not there, there yet, yet obviously. No. But you know, in the in the next couple of years, I think 
depending on how Apple uh, positions their, you know, future plans or whatnot, we could we could see that day coming. I don't know. I, I could see it coming in the next three years. What about you, Neil? Yeah, I agree. I think so. There's an analyst uh, whose name is Neil Seibart, and he says, "Stop asking what device will be able to replace the laptop. Keep on asking what device will be able to meet our needs." And his his position is that when you think along those lines about what device is able to meet our needs, it's clear that it's the iPhone and the Apple Watch that are the future. Or at least that's his position. Well, yeah, I think well, the no, future I, is the, whatever screen you need for whatever task you want to do, and everything is synced in the cloud or locally. You know, imagine yeah. if your Apple Watch had enough storage to have an entire profile on it, and as soon as it came within range of a Mac or an iPad or whatever, your account loaded up with your desktop and your files and everything else, and you sat down and you got to work, and then you left it and went on to the next thing. It could yeah. be whatever screen you need it to be. Yeah, and also, um, thanks to iOS, a lot of people, a lot of people or developers are, you know, they're stripping down their software, so it's becoming less dependent on hardware specs, and it's just making it so much easier to um, to code and mm-hmm. stuff for uh, for the various devices. You know, instead of like you know having uh, one dedicated app for Mac, another dedicated app for iPhone. Right. Another one for iPad, you know. Well, I'd like to introduce our sponsor, TopTal. Finding and hiring talented developers is really hard, but TopTal makes it easy. TopTal is a large network of only the top 3% of software developers in the world, which means they've already found you the best possible developers to work with. Their engineers meet with you to understand your needs and handpick just a few developers from their network for you according to your needs. And they've been so successful with this that they offer a no-risk trial period for all engagements. And if you're not satisfied, you don't pay. Go to TopTal.com slash podcast today to start working with the top-tier developers at TopTal. Podcast listeners will receive one week of TopTal development credit in addition to a no-risk trial period of up to two weeks. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash podcast to sign up. Still on the iPad, the iPad 2 remains the most popular model in use. Reactions? That's not entirely surprising. I don't, you know, other than some internal horsepower and you know, slimming it down a little bit and the addition of Touch ID, it still looks essentially the same as the iPad 2. Yeah. You think about the first iPad and that kind of like curved back that wouldn't sit flat on a table and how thick and how heavy it was um, with those big borders around the outside and stuff. Uh, the iPad 2, I, you know, my parents still have theirs and they use it all the time and they're happy with it, so... That's good news for Apple, I think. There's a lot of potential for upgrades there. There's a lot of talk about the replacement cycle being longer on an iPad. So uh, when yeah. those people do upgrade, they're going to be in for a surprise at how much better they've gotten incrementally over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, I I just I just get kind of upset when <laughs> when people try to compare the iPad to the iPhone and just make this direct comparison. Um, that, oh, obviously people are going to upgrade their iPad every year just like they do their iPhone. It's just not something that you do. It's two different it I mean obviously it's two different devices, but it's two different use cases, right? Yeah. I mean you're you're not going to be replacing your iPad every single year because I mean unless you're last mean. year's one works just fine. There's for your use case is the same whereas for a smartphone it's constantly changing every year. We published a story this week about there not being an AMOLED screen in an iPhone before 2019. Neil, can you tell me about this story and what the insider says? Well, this is uh, from everybody's favorite analyst, Ming-Chi Kuo, who came out this week and said that uh, some of Apple's suppliers have indicated that they're seeing uh, increases in buys uh, for LCDs through 2019. Um, Their primary high-end smartphone buyer for LCDs is Apple. A lot of other smartphone companies like Samsung have moved on to OLED. So the extrapolation from that is that uh, uh, it's unlikely that Apple is planning to switch to AMOLED or AMOLED, as they say, uh, displays at any point in the near future. Not entirely surprising. The big savings from an uh, AMOLED uh, display come from uh, if you use a darker UI. So that's why you see... Uh, the OLED screen on your Apple Watch is uh, the the UI is mostly dark. Uh, that's because the black pixels don't use any power to display really or very little. 
uh, right. as opposed no to backlight. yeah, as opposed to an LCD where the backlight lights up the entire screen. On an OLED screen, the uh, pixels themselves are the, are lit, so you don't need a backlight. So uh, unless Apple decided they wanted to completely rework the iPhone UI and make it uh, black background and dark, uh, then I don't see that coming because the savings on power probably wouldn't be that great, and the cost of the displays is pretty high too. Teardowns have shown that the Apple Watch's uh, most expensive component is its display. So uh, not a huge surprise there. Some people who are always clamoring for you know next generation technology or whatever really wanted that, but it uh, doesn't look like that's going to come to be anytime soon. Can you imagine uh, iOS uh, like a, like a springboard that's completely black with just you know the floating icons? That'd be pretty cool. Oh, you mean like the first three iPhones where they didn't allow yeah, you? Yeah, no, the but I mean. no no but i mean like a truly black display one that looks like it's not powered on it's just the icons floating in space (laughs) have you uh, ever uh, gone into accessibility and turned on the invert colors option yeah yeah it's interesting looking it is that gives you an idea of what a darker ui would look like for uh i like it I like it. I think I think the UIs are just getting way too busy with uh, companies trying to outdo each other and mm-hmm. the wow factor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, Apple could like one year come on and and bam, nothing moving. It's just, just you know, static. Sounds icons. like a bad April Fool's joke from Johnny Ive. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, have, I was, you, have you gone back and powered on an iPhone three G lately? No. Or, or, uh, yes, or I try to do one. that every day for funsies. You have no time for fun, do you? No. There's no joy in your life. I go back and I power on these old devices from time to time just to get a sense of what it was and where it came from, right? There, you know, the, the iPhone that you're describing doesn't exist, obviously, but the, the interface that from the old days was this, this glowing stuff that floated above the black screen that you couldn't change the wallpaper on, like Neil said. And there wasn't everything, there was a lot right with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you think putting it in an AMOLED would would make a big difference? No, I mean I'm just saying aesthetically, it would it would be cool to see. Um, it's kind of like a realization, right, of that first design, that sleek, uh, you know, no nonsense user interface that you know was not Johnny Ivified. I think I, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like uh, Johnny Ive ha- having a hand in Apple's user? Uh, you know, software guidelines have really uh, kind of detracted from the experience. I mean, I feel like he's done some things in the name of design and aesthetics that have uh, kind of curious choices as far as uh, usability is is uh, concerned. Do you, do you see that, Neil? I, Especially, I, I mean... It's a give and take. I, there are some things that have been changed that I really like. Um. And there's some things where I just wonder why they do it that way. Um, yeah. But, you know, in, in reality, Apple's kind of always been that way, um, especially with their our way or the highway mentality. So I don't think it's anything that new. Um, but I think I think it is. Um, I mean, as far as the human interface guidelines go, I think it is kind of new. They're not really sticking with that anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like... Uh, they, they gave that up years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's wandering further into this... Uh, I don't know. It's like a dark forest. It's like kind of, it's hard to it's hard to uh, quantify exactly, you know, what is is wrong with a user interface when uh it hides it from itself. I don't know if that that kind of doesn't make sense. But okay, so for example, uh say the iPhone 6s, um 3D touch, right? Right. Um it's a little better than than the force touch on Apple watch. Right. I mean, it, you have some indication of what's going on. You have feedback. Uh, you have, you have this, you have, you, you have an idea of what's going to happen when you use the touch, uh, the 3d touch function. Whereas on Apple watch, you kind of had to, it's kind of like an it's experimentation just a every time. On the Apple watch, Cause the screen's so small. So it's just a pop yeah. over menu essentially. Yeah. But except you don't know when right. or where you can use yeah. it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing on iPhone 6S or iOS 9. It, it, there's these 
there's facets of it that are hidden from the user on purpose, you know, in the name of making a pretty, you know, a, a clean interface. Well, I don't think it's that new. You have it in OS ten as well. You know, the multi-touch gestures to quickly access the desktop or to uh, the quick app launcher or, you know, the widgets view. Uh, or the side-by-side side view in, in OS ten. Yeah, you know, yeah, swiping from right, the right. side to pull out the notification center. I, I think those are just power because the thing about them is you don't need them, right? So if your parents don't figure out or can't figure out how to swipe up the access control center, you know, I guess with the exception of the flashlight in uh, the iPhone, which you could just get with a third-party app, every other function in there is something that you could do within the settings app or elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, as we see, like, you know, there's like a rise in these articles of the best 20 hidden features of <laughs> iOS 9, right? They're not hidden, obviously. It, it, they're features. But they're it, it's, it's something that is catering to power users as the OS matures. That's inevitable. I mean, you can't, if you put everything on the screen at once to let people know how to do it, then it would be a nightmare. And they want to keep a clean aesthetic. So. Some stuff inevitably has to be kind of quote unquote hidden off the screen, I think. I think they could they could put a lot of the stuff that is hidden on screen in a way that, you know, is uh is logical for users. You know, it, it's easy for users to uh to grasp. Yeah. The Apple has been been ignoring the human interface guidelines for years, and they've been doing this for third parties as well when they award the Apple Design Awards to third parties that don't follow the human interface guidelines. It's it's something that's been going on for as long as they've been making OS X practically. And uh, we, we've all kind of come to accept it in, in the way that we use apps. It's it's just where we're going with that. I I agree that, that they need to do better, but it's it's nothing new. It's getting worse. It's getting worse, Victor. The future is accelerating, Mikey. It's all getting worse. But talking about things that are not getting worse, I want to talk about SoftLayer. SoftLayer is getting better. SoftLayer delivers a cloud built for privacy. Your business, your applications, and your computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs. And SoftLayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform, all on demand, all connected to the same open API, and all connected to a global private network. All of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast. You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services from your choice of data center. And there are 24 data centers around the world. All of those servers and services are connected to Softlayer's unique network, which separates public, private, and management traffic, ensuring that traffic to and from your cloud travels more efficiently. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for privacy from Softlayer. One of the articles that I read this week really was part of my, the sort of trip to my interest, um, is about 68 Research. And 68 Research is this sort of shadowy group that's been linked to Apple's Project Titan, and they showed up at an auto industry conference. So yeah, uh, we at Apple Insider were the first to uh, kind of uh, find this 68 research company and their uh, connections with Apple. Um, we've never, nobody's ever been able to prove that they're tied to Apple, but they are based out of a building that uh, Apple is currently leasing. And they also are uh, at a place where our sources have told us is kind of the ground zero for Apple's electric car project. So uh, 68 Research, um, they have a website uh, that says that they are a, a groundbreaking or something market research company, and it says nothing else about the company, and there's a thing on there like an email form to contact them, but no phone number or anything like that. So it's very suspicious. Uh, they've had the website for a couple of years registered through GoDaddy, but Apple for many years has used shell corporations and other covers to uh, work on projects. Uh, one of the best examples was uh, they owned the company name IP Application Development uh, so that they could register the name iPad uh, before they announced the product and its name because they didn't want people to know what they were going to name the product. So this uh, is a company uh, based out of uh, Sunnyvale, California. And this past week, uh, they were listed as an attendee of the Euro, Euro Car Body 2015 Global Car Body Benchmarking Conference. 
Now, their appearance on there is interesting because they were pretty much the only company on there that nobody knew who the heck they were. Uh, some of the other names on there were pretty big, like Ford, GM, Chrysler, <laughs> all showed up at this conference. And then here's this company that nobody really knows who they are, what they do. They claim they're a market research company, and they show up at a car auto body conference. So certainly uh, raises eyebrows. At, at this conference, were they just were, were they participants? Did they speak, or were they simply just attending? No, it just says that they were they were listed as an attendee at the conference. So nobody knows what they were doing there, or who was representing them, or anything like that, really. So so one person went there, and and when he registered his name badge, he put sixty eight on. Yep. Someone should have followed that dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, it's part of Faraday, the extremely high-profile oh, startup that, uh, come on, man, Apple is totally behind that. Why can't you just see it? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, you've opened the door. Tell us what the Faraday thing is and why you're making fun of it. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's a mysterious uh, electric car startup that, uh, it, didn't they, they said, <clears throat> they promised to, Build a billion dollars worth of infrastructure, right? Yeah. Or put a billion dollars worth, and it, it's uh, is backed by a shadowy Chinese investor. Well, I mean, he's a billionaire, but I mean, we don't know exactly what is going on. They haven't everyone, released like they they haven't named who their CEO is or anything like that, and so the secrecy so around Apple. them, yeah. even though they have a marketing director and they've been putting out uh publicity like for hyping an upcoming product like they have like an outline of this car they're going to announce uh mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is something that apple would never do if they wanted to what? keep it a secret it's, uh, a, it's a smoke screen Neil. yeah just because there was some secrecy involved and it led to a lot of speculation that apple might be behind this company which is ridiculous so there's no i think the billion chance. dollar the billion dollar investment is uh kind of what the, the, the titillating detail. Yeah, they, someone put a lot of money into this company, and they don't have they haven't named a CEO or anything like that. So that's led to speculation that maybe Apple is using this as a front or is behind this company. But th I mean, it's why, why would they Apple need, go through all this work to build hype for a fake company when they want to keep they, it a secret? It makes no sense. They, they need it to uh, detract or to to draw focus away from their real project, which is a car. <laughs> Some of it's just Shh. Apple punkiness, right? I, it's, I Everyone mean, Apple is. has nothing. At this point, they just do it yeah. for kicks. Apple has nothing to do with this Faraday project. I will eat my hat if they do. It was a nice hat. <laughs> Prepare the sauce. I'd like to introduce our sponsor, TopTal. Finding and hiring talented developers is really hard. In addition to the months of searching and large piles of resumes that you typically need to contend with, once you find a reasonable candidate, it's really, really hard to evaluate a developer's skill level unless you're a developer yourself. TopTal makes it easy. TopTal is a large network of the top 3% of software developers in the world. To be accepted, applicants must go through an intense screening process that tests for technical expertise, problem-solving ability, communication skills, and more. Their acceptance rate is just 3%. TopTal's team of engineers meets with you to understand your needs and handpicks just a few developers from their network for you according to your needs. Once you interview a developer, you can start working with them on a full-time, part-time, or hourly basis for as long as you need. They've been so successful with this that they offer a no-risk trial period for all engagements. If you're not satisfied, you don't pay. Thousands of companies, including Airbnb, J.P. Morgan, Zendesk, and more, have turned to TopTal when they needed developers. Because TopTal allowed them to hire rapidly, hire with confidence, and hire only the best. Go to toptal.com podcast to start working with the top-tier developers at TopTal. Podcast listeners will receive one week of TopTal development credit in addition to a no-risk trial period of up to two weeks. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash podcast to sign up. So, Neil, you liked a movie, and the movie got pulled from theaters. I'm sorry, I had to put it like that. But so, the, the news article they re-ran was that Universal drops the Steve Jobs movie from the thousands of theaters after poor box office results. I, I still haven't seen the movie. Well, you can't see it now, so... I, well... You missed your chance. You'll have to wait for <sighs> Blu-ray or iTunes. That's, will it be on iTunes? I would imagine. This is not... Was that like 2005, <laughs> that icon book that was banned from Apple stores back when they sold books in their stores? Yeah. So what, what, what's the story here other than there were poor box office results and it's been pulled? It's pretty standard operating procedure. Uh, theater owners don't want movies that aren't drawing crowds. So it played for a couple weeks and they needed to make room for James Bond. So they pulled it out of theaters. All right. I mean, you know, <laughs> the movie wasn't a hit. What are you going to say? It's a... 
it's about uh, it, it, there, you know, there's no explosions there. It's all dialogue. Um, it is not a big budget mainstream movie. I mean, it's a disappointment in the vein that if you look at the social network, which made a lot more money, uh, it didn't do as well as that film, which is the same screenwriter. Um, so I think people had higher expectations, especially given, uh, you know, how recently Steve Jobs passed away. So there was higher expectations from some people, but the movie didn't meet him and it didn't do well in theaters. So got it. Well, I've missed my opportunity to see it. <laughs> You'll see it on iTunes. You'll be all right. Uh, I'll be all right. You know, if they'd only put in when, you know, when in the middle of keynotes, there was a keynote where Jobs would say, boom, if they just put an explosion in there. Right. It would have done fine. Boom goes the dynamite. Boom. I mean, it still made $16 million. We're not exactly talking about chump change here. So it didn't exactly lose money. Uh, I, I think they said it needed to make like $30 million to turn a profit or something, given what they paid the actors and all that. But who knows what it made internationally and what it'll make on DVD and stuff. You know, the accounting on this stuff is all weird anyhow. Hollywood accounting is, is not always easy. Well, this has been our episode. This is the Apple Insider Podcast recording on Thursday, November 12th. We had Neil, managing editor. Neil, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can read me at Apple Insider, and you can follow me on Twitter at this is Neil. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? Apple Insider and at MikeyCampbell81 on the Twitter. Brilliant. We'll be back next week with more news all about the iPad Pro. This episode is brought to you by Canary, a complete home security system in a single device. When Canary detects something out of the ordinary, it sends intelligent notifications with HD video straight to your phone. Canary puts you in control during an emergency. Through the Canary app, you can watch live footage, sound a built-in siren, or connect with police near your home. Start protecting your home with Canary today for just $199. Go to meetcanary.com and use the promo code INSIDER to get free overnight shipping.